the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Perspective. Teaching. Conversation. This is Isaiah 61. Over the next half hour, you'll hear why the Lord provided those verses and how they can be used in witnessing, in the church, and in daily life as God's children. Now, here's your host of Isaiah 61 from Spirit of the Lord Church in North Minneapolis, Pastor Joe Sutton. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. This is Pastor Joe Sutton. Uh, just, just here with you, uh, enjoying. Man, uh, when you listen to this, it'll be a nice Saturday, hopefully nice weather. Uh, high school sports gets to go outside. My son played his first baseball game the other day. He was he was overjoyed. No more wiffle ball in the gym. <laughs> uh, going out there, uh, went to a track meet. I froze. I'm I'm just cold natured, man. It, you know, it was good to be outside, but it was, you know, when that wind started blowing and it got around five thirty, and that sun was going down. I was I was ready to go home. I was I was ready to coach coach from the car or something like that, but. It just it's a good time. It's a good time to be back. It's a good time for uh, you know for our children to be outside and and hopefully they are outside. You know, I mean, I you know I, I I've never had my car antenna broken or my windshield cracked uh, since I've been an adult. I I really haven't. And when I was young, we were always breaking antennas and cracking windshields. <laughs> As we were trying to play baseball in the street or football or doing something we had no business doing, running around the neighborhood, catching bugs, uh, you know, just doing different kind of things that I just don't see. Uh, I just don't see young people doing anymore. Everybody's kind of afraid to let them go. And sometimes we're chasing the dollar so much that both parents are working. No one's home. You know what I mean? So you, and then when you do get home, you're trying to rush and cook and, Rest and you don't have time to let them run around neighborhood and and just be with neighbors and we don't trust neighbors anymore because we don't have time to know them because we're chasing this this uh, materialistic dream and uh, it gets there you know but you know I just want to talk to you just more about you know what is leadership you know the one of the things that that you know that I always uh, have been exposed to in my life has been leaders and and uh, I've always been around people older than me uh, being the oldest. I spent a lot of time around adults and I feel more comfortable with older adults. And, uh, but you know, then I always had that hustle, right? You know, we call it hustle in, 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 uh, in the urban context It's known as uh, being an entrepreneur in the suburban context. But I was always out there where I was mowing grass, selling cosmetics, selling metal, social security plates, uh, whatever the comic books I had to sell. I sold it. Um, you know, I would get out there and mow lawns, shovel snow, line up contracts, subcontract my work. Uh, we did other activities that I won't talk about on the air because I want y'all to believe that I'm a pastor. And uh, so I just did everything that's going out there. And so it was always about interacting. It was always about doing things. And then I heard about junior achievement. I was in seventh grade when I heard about junior achievement. But 
you had to be in high school to join Junior Achievement. And I was like, man, and you had to be a sophomore, right? Uh, so the year I got to ninth grade, they changed the rule and they let ninth graders in. And, uh, and so I ran the junior achievement to exercise my skills. Uh, my dad had always owned businesses. My grandfather had always owned businesses. Uh, as you know, if you heard me on the radio, you know, my dad, my dad ran nightclubs and, uh, and, uh, and I would count money. I could count money when I was five. I could count ones and fives and twenties and everything like that. And, you know, my mother was, was telling me when I go to grocery store, I would keep a running tally of everything she t- threw in the cart and tell her how much she owed by the time she got to the rest. I just love numbers. You know, I'm, I'm real good with numbers. I'm fast with numbers. It's a natural gift. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I just love numbers and I just love doing that. And so to take that numbers and make money, I love making money. I don't like money per se. I just love making it. You know what I mean? I like giving it away. I like the art of the deal. And then I'm done. I'm, you know, it's over. You know, you know, I mean, it's just done with me. And, and I say all that to to to, to build a, a format. When you're looking at what is a leader, a leader is not the one who makes the most money or has the most toys. But sometimes in our in our viewpoint of leadership, especially in the Western context, we look at the person who has the most, and that's who we make the leader, right? You know, they have the most money, they have the most businesses, they have the most whatever. At most people in their congregation, you know, I mean, you sit in a room full of pastors. You're not going to make the pastor of the church of 50, you know, the leader or pastor of organization. It's usually going to be the pastor, you know, that that has a, the largest church. And and a lot of that is because he usually has help. <laughs> so therefore, he can delegate some stuff to his subordinates and get some stuff done for the association. But usually that's just how we look at things. You know, he's the one with the most initials behind his name. It's the most, the most. And so we get driven into this this most this most thing. You know, even when our young people think about choosing a career, they're looking at the career that can get them the most. You know, and I can make more money doing this and this can get me the house that I want or the car that I want or the job that I want, the things that I want. And so we get together and, and we get married and we start going after the most. But then there's some intrinsic things that, that where the most come into. I remember when me and my wife got married, we were older 33 and 31, um, you know, we had seen some things and we had determined that we weren't going to fall into that trap. We determined that we were going to live off one income. We determined that our kids weren't going to go to daycare. We were going to always watch them and be there with them. And, uh, you know, they would, you know, go to school at five and, and we'd be active and little things like that. And we felt that the, the mental, emotional, and spiritual state of our children was more important than the academic or the mental state. We just want to be there. And, uh, and there we always, you know, have been. And, uh, and so we sacrificed the dollar to make sure that they were okay and that they can be on the road to their purpose. Cause you know, the dollar is something that can be replaced and we're done with something else. And, but the most important thing we want to do, we want to raise up leaders. I felt from an early time in my life, the guy that called me to raise up, uh, the next generation of evangelists and uh, the next generation of leaders. And in our, our our church, we focus on raising up leaders uh, and helping people become what God has called them to become. Not necessarily what I may need or the church may need, but what God has called them to become. And so we take that seriously, even with our younger kids and, and working them through. And in our, in our summer program, we focus a lot on leadership from 
age six all the way up, you know, till 18 in the program. We're, and even in our college students, we're focusing on leaders, how to run things, how to organize. Uh, you know, we're doing fundraising now for our summer program. And most of the fundraising is being done by uh, what one would need to be the next generation of leaders. You know, our 22, 24, 25-year-olds, they're, they're taking the lead and, and, and they're running some things. Uh, you know, pretty soon my boss will be my son. You know what I mean? He'll be, he'll be my boss, you know, to flip it over to practice leadership succession and get them there so that they can uh, get out there and in turn, you know, turn other people loose in the leadership. And, and that's as it is. But a lot of times we get confused on what is leadership. Is leadership really telling someone what to do? Uh, and I like Miles Monroe's definition of leadership. And, uh, and it, it goes like this. Uh, leadership is the capacity to influence others through inspiration generated by passion, motivated by vision, birthed by conviction, produced by a purpose. That's his definition. And taking it back, your purpose is your original intent. It's your original intent. That's where you know where you got to go, right? Conviction is your belief in something significant. Right. Something that you 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 believe is very important. Your vision is your purpose in pictures. Your passion. is a desire stronger than death. Inspiration, generating meaning in others, meaning give people the meaning for their lives. Influence is submission of others to your authority. Right. So leadership is a is a corporate commitment to the clause. So when you take that, you know, when you look at that definition, leadership is the capacity to influence others through inspiration, meaning I inspire them to be who they need to be. It's generated by passion, right? The fuel, the 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 whole energy behind it is this thing I believe is stronger than death that comes in there. And it's motivated by a vision, which is my purpose in pictures. I can see it. I can explain it to you, let you know what it is. But it's birthed by conviction. And, and my conviction is that that this this vision, this passion is 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 significant and it's needed in the lives of others. But it's produced by my purpose, my God's original intent for my life. And and when I look at leadership from that point of view, my main job is not telling people what to do. My main job is inspiring people. By them seeing the passion in my life, the conviction in my life and me being able to explain what my life is dedicated to and what I've been called to do upon this earth. And I'm able to give them that vision and I'm able to understand my purpose and explain it and articulate it in such a way that it inspires other people to go along with me inspires them to be the best that they can be so that they too can generate that passion. They can have that, that, that conviction that goes. And you know, when, when you're trying to teach this to young people, it's so funny is that kids, little kids get it, but the older they get, the harder it is for them to understand because the older they get, they mean they've been through systems, which have, has taught them another way. You know, it's like, uh, 
we did a project where I had the kids uh, recreate a model of the tabernacle. And I said, well, we're going to use popsicle sticks and a popsicle stick is going to be equal to one cubit. And that's how we're going to rebuild the tabernacle. The kids understood it. They read 18 cubits. That's 18 popsicle sticks. It wasn't hard to do. My college staff had a hard time wrapping wrapping their head around reading Leviticus and transferring it into something because they had been trained under systems that taught them different. So it was hard for them to adjust. Whereas these kids hadn't been under any systems yet that, that taught them how to see a certain way. You know, they were flexible and said, okay, yeah, we see that. We, we can do that. We can recreate this. We just measure it off like this and we can recreate it. And the staff was having all the problems. Like, I think this is too hard for the kids. And, and it wasn't too hard for the kids. It was hard for the staff because sometimes if you, if you've been taught to see a certain way to respond a certain way that then when it comes time for you to do, see something different, you see it that way. And, and, and it becomes up, but as a leader, yeah, I mean, you, you have to understand that it begins with purpose, your original intent. If you don't know what your original intent is, if you've allowed the systems in your life, when I say systems, you can, I'm not going to name them all, but you have family systems, you have social systems, you have educational systems, work systems, there's different systems that have taught you to see a certain way. Then you only believe something is possible. My, my son, you know, he holds a master's in education. And sometimes we get to debating over what's beneficial, you know, in the school system. And I just asked him this question. I said, why has every revolution in education been birthed by somebody without an education degree? And he looked at me like, well, I said, well, you know, you look at the Harvest Prep Schools in Minneapolis that 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 I'll test everybody. But they were started by an electrical engineer. No education background. You look at the Khan Academy. He's an investor guy. No education background. I say, so you look at all these systems that come out and, and the systems that revolutionize education are always started by somebody outside of education because their vision is not limited like someone in education because someone in education has been taught that this is not possible. Right. And so they can't see it. But someone who hasn't been taught that something is not possible goes out there and sees it and believes that it's possible. You know, I remember I was told uh, early in the game that that six and seven graders can't take the ACT test. And, uh, and so I started having six and seven graders take the ACT test and they had great success. And now they are enjoying life with full scholarship, full academic scholarship. And, and, and this, the, the educators that I tried to sell this program to, you know, in a certain school district, wouldn't, couldn't believe what we were doing. They said it just wasn't feasible. Their minds couldn't wrap it. I just got a lot of different things that got out there. But if somebody's mind can wrap around and understand some of these TV programs and movies, I'm pretty sure they can understand the ACT. You know what I mean? These kids can figure out a cell phone and an iPad jack lightning quick, but then we want to give them a discount with saying what they can handle educationally. You know what I mean? So they decided that they were going to let juniors take the test and, and not uh, eighth graders or ninth graders like I originally suggested. And they adapted it to what they felt would work. And well, anyway, I'm still outperforming them and that's all all I need to know, my program still outperforms them. Not because I'm an educational genius and know how to write things, it's because I'm not limited. My viewpoint isn't limited. You know what I mean? I just know one thing, what I'm called to do, right? And I know that what what my original intent is and my passion, my conviction that 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 I can I can produce academic excellence in the urban context, I don't allow it to be dampered by anything else because I haven't been raised in that system to think that what is possible and what's impossible. I just 
know that God said it can be done and I'm crazy enough to get it done. You know, I look at most of the prophets that came through. A lot of them, they weren't men and women of God. God had to get people outside of the system to be able to see what's there. You listen to Isaiah 61, the radio ministry of Spirit of Lord Church. And I'm talking to you about leadership, uh, definition of leadership. I want to move in on the, uh, after the break and talk about some more things, what leadership is. And, and more importantly, how we can instill these characteristics in the next generation. Because uh, get ready, folks. It ain't going to get no better. Spirit of the Lord Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church impacting North Minneapolis and the greater Twin Cities. Emphasizing the four pillars of godly thinking, training up godly children, godly marriages, and outreach to the community, Spirit of the Lord has quickly become a staple to some of the people who need God the most. As they focus on Jesus Christ, grace and truth bind them together to become God's best. Join them for service every Sunday morning at 1030 at 1001 Penn Avenue North in Minneapolis. Spirit of the Lord Church, a proud sponsor of Isaiah 61. If it was 1990, you'd be listening to your favorite radio station on a bulky boombox that burns through D batteries faster than you can say, you've got mail. Thankfully, it's the 21st century, and there are much better alternatives. For example, just ask Alexa to tune in. Alexa, play the Mission Minneapolis. Throw out that old beeper and get with the times. Listen to your favorite AM 980 The Mission Bible Teachers and Ministries with Alexa and Amazon Echo. Hey, this is Isaiah 61, Pastor Joe Sutton, uh, just having a good time. You know, I just want to always invite you out to uh, our website if you want to know more about what we do with young people and our Raising Up Leaders. It's an easy website. It's three, the number three, deepleadership.com, threedeepleadership.com. And uh, our track team is eagleswingstrack.com, a little long. Eagleswingstrack.com is our track team. And, and uh, yes, we started practicing. We'll be out there tomorrow. We'll practice from 3, uh, three yeah, 3 o'clock. No, 1 to 3. Let me get that straight. 1 to 3. I was out there at the wrong time last week. Yeah, it's it's one, to, 1 to 3 on Saturdays. Uh, let's get your Saturday running out of the way. And then 6 to 8 Mondays and Wednesdays where we're outside and our team is open for ages 6 to 18. If they're running high school track, they can join us after high school season is over. But but uh, we'd be more than happy to train them. And, and our season pretty much runs through July at the national uh, at the national track meet. And uh, so leadership, you know, and all we do, we teach leadership. Leadership is a mindset. You know, what I mean, you know, in the last 20 years, you've seen PhDs and organizational behavior, leadership, all kinds of things, leadership, lead this. And, and we're trying to teach leadership because from our from our viewpoint, we think we can teach everything, but it's more of a mindset. Now, teaching can help develop a mindset, but teaching can also help hinder a mindset. You know what I mean? And so, you know, as we always find in Scripture, uh, David said, created me a clean heart, you know, that seed of wisdom and renew a right spirit in me. He knew he not only needed his mind renewed, but he also needed, you know, his spirit, you know, renewed. Uh, in the New Testament, we go to our Romans, a verse some of us love and some of us hate. And it says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, you know what I mean, or your seed of wisdom. 
and it goes in there. So it's the mindset that you walk into it. You know, I remember in growing up in the little urban Catholic school I went to in Chicago, uh, they helped us develop a mindset that there was no test that we couldn't pass. Man, I believe there was not a test out there that I couldn't dominate. You know what I mean? You can give me a test way out my grade limit. And I just believe my mindset was so sure. They had me so confident in myself and in my ability to do things that, that I it just was, I felt that there was nothing I couldn't do. My mindset was that whereas I'm dealing with a, 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 a young athlete now, who believes he can't do anything right. He's eight years old. And he's always saying, I can't do anything right. Well, you know, and I realize that I have to work on his, his mindset. You know, I have to encourage him. I have to make him. I call him my superstar. I put him next to me. I help him. I let him make decisions on the workouts and stuff like that. I'm trying to get him to see that you do possess the potential to do things right. Cause it's just a mindset. You take two athletes, a similar ability. You put them in a program that has a history of winning and then they win. It took the other one in the history of losing, and then it seemed like his game goes off, you know, because it, it, it's it's the mindset that comes in there that that, that we're going to be here, we're going to do this, and we're going to go. You know, it's it's we always say that athletics is ninety percent mental and ten percent physical, but yet our practices are always ninety percent physical. And and to to work on that, to we we've learned that to work on the mind is far greater than just working on the body. Because you can work on the body and have the body ready, and then they go like, "I can't go that fast, or I can't make it all the way around the track, or I could never hit that kind of pitching." You know, it's a mindset. You know, you put yourself in there. That's why we had this whole field now, sports psychologists, to help people out to deal with the mindset. You can never rise above your attitude. You can never rise above your attitude. That's why it's so important that we always keep the framework of what is God's original intent for my life. Other people have intents for your life. Other people have goals for you and everything like that. But you have to understand what is God's original intent for your life. You know, in raising my, in raising my kids, I always kept before them, you know, what God's original intent was for our family. You know, once I discovered the, the, the purpose of what God intended for our family to accomplish, it was easy for me to work around the other things that, that 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 my children have my I come from a family of teachers you know what I mean just teachers you know what I mean just just teachers my grandfather being the first like principal in Jackson Mississippi you know just going around teaching in the in the sharecropping schools and and educating folks and and helping them get out and then my, he would help people go to college would pay, pay their tuition would send them spending money that you know, I find I do the same things that my grandfather did. You know what I mean? That they're going through there. And so I try to relate this to my family and understand what our family purpose is and what, what we what we are called to do as a family. You know, I don't care whether you become a lawyer, engineer, janitor, whatever it is, but understand this. That's just a stepping stool for you to help complete the family purpose. You know, and I try giving them their purpose, but I learned one thing. Uh, they don't listen to you as a parent. <laughs> so I, I, I used to say, oh, I see you doing this. I see you doing that. And then they'll turn around and say, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. Cause it's this natural rebellious thing against, against parents. So I, I just would write it down and in a notebook and leave it there and stick to the family vision and don't say much of anything and watch them change and watch them slowly come around to it. I remember when I first shared with my oldest son, my notebook, what I had wrote in there about him 10 years before. And he saw that he was leaning that way. He was like, Oh man, 
Dang, I thought I was getting away from you. <laughs> that was his response. So you you sometimes it, you you can you can try to teach your kids what their original intent is, and they're receiving it. Sometimes they don't. And I guess it depends on where you are and what you're doing. But understand this: you cannot rise above your attitude. Keep their attitude. Keep them with an attitude of "I can." You know, my kids used to say "I can't," and and man, I would just take my finger and pop their finger and say, "We we don't use that word." Say, "I need help." Don't say, "I can't." Say, "I need help." You know what I mean? And and so that's one thing we don't don't say, "I can't." Say, "I need help." You know, because they can't rise above their attitude. If they don't believe they can, they can't do it. You know, because the leadership attitude is the key to leadership confidence. That attitude will determine their confidence. A leader is a person who can fall down and get back up and then attack the next project with the same rigor. You know, usually you get cautious. You get afraid. I felt once it might not work again. But the attitude that says, I'm going to try it again. And again and again, because failure is a part of my development. It's not a sign that I should quit. Failure is a part of my development. It is not a sign that I should quit. 20 years from now, 50 years from now, they're going to wonder what we did this day to produce these people who are running Congress, who are running president office, who are running everything. Let's get out there and get them the best product they can have to change our world. In Jesus' name, see you guys next week. Goodbye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.